Greetings, fellow Slingers. Welcome back to World of Hard 20 Podcast. It is I, your trusted Dungeon Master Brian, welcoming you once again to the show. You know, just the other day, actually it's been more like a couple of weeks ago, back when I was still on the West Coast, I was discussing with the other Hard Slingers about bringing other listening material to you fellow Slingers that's not always of a high fantasy genre and why we, we would want to do so. Well, as I've seen more than a few times, that kind of material certainly is most needed when we're short one of our hard slingers due to some last minute scheduling conflict. Yeah, yeah, I know, you know, that one day a week for that one hour, I know that could be very challenging to make. Um, But, you know, six months from now, if you look at the RSS feeds and you look at all the episodes, you can see that, you know, they still got made and they still got posted. Anyways, although we don't always have an alternative system or a scenario in the chamber, which we'll be correcting as we move forward. We always have hard slingers that have hot mics and are ready for another segment of Rolling for 20. So I'm bringing to you the meat and potatoes of my hard slingers as they discuss the classes that they chose for our Dragon's Demand run through and why. So please enjoy our Rolling for 20 segment. Show some class. Enjoy. That recording voice is so sexy. Yeah, it gets me. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe a little more baritone for my taste. Oh, oh my. <laughs> a little. Motherfucker, recording in progress. <laughs> uh, not not Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, <laughs> it's my beard. Anyways, are we ready? Yes, we're ready. Yes. Yeah. Greetings, fellow slingers. Welcome back to World of Hard 20 podcast. Is I, your trusted dungeon master, Brian, and with me, my hard slingers. That would be Chris, you too. <laughs> I'm actually only joined by uh, Ryan and Chris as we bring to you another long-awaited episode of our Rolling for 20, which is where we get together and we discuss a few minor topics and basically digress as we go along the way. Uh, it's been a long time since we've done one of these, and Junior says he'll be on in a few, so we'll be waiting for him when he does it. Uh, As a way of easing back into one of these episodes, uh, we're going to discuss our character classes, most notably uh, try to keep it easy, but I'm going to ask each of you hard slingers, which class you decided to run for the Dragon's Demand and uh, what led you to choose that particular class. So we've gone through 21 episodes and here we are now. So Ryan, why don't you uh, give me a little idea. First of all, I already know what you're playing. Why don't you tell the listeners what you're playing? So Warren is a uh, human warlock, um, and his pact is the Genie Pact, which came out in uh, Tasha's. Uh, I think it's like been six, seven months now. Um, Ironically, and- I think that book is older than that. I think. Is the book I, older than that? I think. I don't know. It, it just seems like it. I, it's hard to tell. Time has just been ebbing and flowing as we continue this uh this right going right well, let me ask uh, anyway. you this was mm-hmm. was 
picking a warlock was that your first choice um or were I you torn a, between one or you know more than uh, one i was thinking of a couple of different ways um i think probably the linchpin of how i settled on playing uh, a warlock of the genie pack was um actually how warren got to be introduced to the party um uh, he was basically trapped in his ring I like that story too. I mean, it's not a spoiler at all because if you've been following along, Ryan joined us a few episodes into the show as Kush was preparing to segue out. And like I've said so many times, Ryan's an awesome addition to the show. But yeah, it was cool that they found the ring that Warren was in. Continue, please. Um, yeah, so uh, the other uh, options I was considering, I actually was considering um, a, a druid, uh, possibly Circle of the Wildfire, which would have been um, explosive. Um, another option I was thinking about that might be fun and have a little bit of that like mad scientist vibe would be like an uh, alchemist artificer. Oh. So. Yeah, there there would have been uh, there, there were some good options, but I'm I'm really happy with my pick, my pick with Warren. I had you like played he, a warlock before? I have played a warlock before. Um, uh, only once. I actually played through the uh, Princes of the Apocalypse uh, campaign five uh, E campaign module as a uh, tiefling celestial warlock named Serrano, um, and I had a blast with him. Um, it was all Cyrano. about Cyrano. Cyrano. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, yeah, it was a blast. I think I wound up playing him from level one up to it was like 11, uh, level 12 or so. Um, so I got a really good taste of like the Warlock's power and such. Yeah, he's like way OP, which is, I think, one reason why a lot of the monsters like to focus fire on you because you do a lot of the damage <laughs> to them. Uh -huh. Kind of like a, like a payback kind of thing. Yeah, well, you know. And then hopefully I just, you know, uh, I'll, I'll hide behind Stabby if I have to. Or Flynn. Whoever's only, in front of me. The only thing you're going to be protecting is your kneecaps. That's about it. Moving on to Stabby. Chris, now you chose to be the halfling rogue. Uh, was he your first choice in a class? He was not. Um I typically like to play paladins and, and I was seriously leaning towards playing a paladin for, for this, uh, uh, this show. Um, and then I said, no, I always play it. Let's try something else. And I actually started looking at a bard and the more I read about a bard, um, I think I was going to have an exceedingly difficult time playing that character, um, you know, in, in this particular campaign. Um, I, I, a lot of reading that I did, they're not necessarily, um, party or DM friendly. It's okay. just more difficult it, from the reading that I had done. Now that that's obviously no reflection upon you. Cause I think you would have made it work, but I think that, um, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to skip the bard for now, deal with it later. Um, and part of it too is, you know, I had a very long hiatus of playing D and D. So this is, you know, coming in to play with you guys in the show was a way for me to get back into it. I ended up just landing on the rogue as kind of my third choice, never having played one. And I was intrigued by the stealthy nature, 
um, you know, being able to intimidate things like that. Um, that's well, most likely after we kill Stabi, you could choose either the paladin or the bard at some point. We'll just feed yeah. him the, just <laughs> yeet him into the dragon's maw. <laughs> right. Um, now, because I've got a few questions here as I'm asking my, my boys here. Uh, mm-hmm. I also want to know uh, which aspects turned out to be better than you thought would be and which aspects of that particular character let you down? I'm going to go start with you this time, Chris. Um, uh, for me, the, I'll start with the bad. Um, he's a pin cushion. Yeah, <laughs> he, he likes to soak it up, man. You know, and that's that's hard, um, I think, for a rogue, especially, you know, supposed to be stealthy, frontline combat. No, uh, they're not supposed to be frontline combat. Well, no, well, if, they, if they stealth into combat, not frontline yeah. like a like a meat shield, but yeah. being able to stealth into frontline combat. Um, it, it's great, but like I say, he's a pincushion. He goes down quick. So I found that I have to really, really pay attention and be a little bit more reserved in the play style of, of that character. Um, and then as far as what I really like about him is... Um, the, the mix of being able to use um, some intimidation tactics um, to get what he or the party wants. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to more interaction with the town folk and, and folks outside the dungeons to kind of stretch those wings a little bit more of that, of that character class. Yeah, when you guys finish with the Blood Vowel Lair, eventually you're going to have to go back and report to the Baroness and let her know, you know, everything that's, that's gone on in the lair and what you've discovered and things like that. And then you'll start finding yourselves uh, interacting again with the the common people, you know, which I'll have, personally have to stop finding my voices again for all those people. <laughs> Ryan, what did you find uh, that went better than uh, than you thought it would go for your character and things that kind of went off the rails? Um, I don't know if I would say that anything has gone like so far off the rails. I've played D and D, and I played Five E. Actually, I think Five E is probably the edition that I played the most of. And so I'm pretty well aware of uh, Warren's and a warlock in general's um, strengths and weaknesses. Um, uh, obviously, his inability to take a really good hit, and then also to as. Uh, happened at the end of our last session um warren is should not be the trap finder no um, we should get a rogue for that i know i know ideally a rogue <laughs> that can actually see in the dark <laughs> yeah i know it's well, crazy yeah but let's be fair that's that's not a a class attribute that's a race attribute that's the one thing that i wish i would have uh, chosen a different uh race Oh, you're going to start getting racist now, huh? So, uh, <laughs> hey, welcome, Junior. Um, hey, what's going on? The, I would say the best thing about Ward, really, I, I like how he brings a completely different dynamic uh, to the party. Like, in in classic D&D um, genre, there's always, like, the fighter, the rogue, uh, the wizard, and the cleric. And so... Um, and each one of them fills like these very like niche, very specific roles. I like totally mixing it up. 
So uh, just as an example is uh, another game that I had played in, it, they kind of needed a tank. I didn't want to play a fighter. So I played a Circle of the Moon Druid and I was very frequently a large bear. And I've seen people do that too. Yeah, like where, yeah. They, where they play the Druid and they just morph into like a large snake or something and mm -hmm. start going. That was another one. And so um, because of that, like uh, I kind of got the sense that the party would do well from someone with a more arcane bend, but I could have played a wizard, but a warlock is just, I think, more fun. And also warlocks get more weird bags of tricks. Yeah, it, it definitely lent a lot of flavor to how you were brought into the adventure path and, and all that other stuff, plus your history, you know, how mm -hmm. you're connected to Tula Belhain. Junior, mm -hmm. when you first were, were picking Flint, were you, did you have more than one class that you you were thought about doing or was it always just wanted to do a dwarf i i'm sorry wanted to do a, a <laughs> the druid i apologize <laughs> or the the race. <laughs> yeah well Great. when i did uh i'm running a druid in another campaign that we're doing and he's fun i just didn't want to have to do two druids at the same time so when i did uh flint and i went with the dwarf i actually went with the mindset of having a kind of like a viking dwarf you know with like the attitude and the spice in him but i didn't want to make him just bloodthirsty i wanted him to be more of like a like a medic type where he was more aid to to his feather uh his other combat people so that that's kind of like how i wanted to twist it where i'm not where flint's not the main frontline battle you know tank kind of guy but he could take some some beatings but he wants to make sure everyone on the battlefield himself is is taken care of did you ever think about playing a different uh class or was it always always the um i just thought it would be different i mean just playing the dwarf itself um i think my druid in the other campaign that we're doing is what was he he's an elf a wooden elf, if I could remember. <laughs> you know what was funny was I actually was looking through the through the book. I'd have to have to review this, but it was uh, that wasn't that was a cricket, was it? No, that no, was, uh, that was. I'm trying to remember. You had Fuego, Fuego, which was actually kind of a funny thing. I did him as a pregen, and he ended up being a teethling. What was he? It was something uh, spellcasting. Sorcerer? I, I don't mm. remember honestly. I try to I try to expunge all of that AP out of my mind. <laughs> that cursed AP. Yeah, but well, me, no, me, it, it was interesting to to play either one. The spell casting's definitely been something of a challenge for me to to try to do since a lot of my characters were kind of tankier. Oh, you're you're talking about the uh the carrion crown. Yeah. Okay, that was oust, wasn't it? Oust, yeah. Okay. Um, as I catch you up to the rest of this, what, what turned out to be, uh, one of the better aspects of the character and that, you, that you thought would be, and then what let you down as far as that, that, uh, that character, as far as his, uh, class is concerned. Uh, class wise being a cleric, um, I like the healing aspect, but unfortunately, being a low-level uh, healer, 
it kind of seems like a lot of the things I either have to be in range of you, like either touch or a certain amount of feet to kind of give you healing power. And it's kind of hard because like I said, when I first started, I was always a frontline fighter. I was always a tank. So not trying to get into the heat of battle and trying to stay back has been more of my problem as operating my character. Because you always I, like to be right up front. <laughs> I like to be up in, in the front of the, the thick of shit. But and for those of you that don't know that, go listen to Riders on the Storm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> listen to Rafu. Uh, but now each of you have somehow managed to get, get through um, not just the good, but the bad. And through role playing and stuff. So tell me each of you in some way how your role-playing managed to, to distinguish your character's uh, class from, say, another character with the same class, like how you've managed to do something, even if you played the same class before, how this particular character, like Warren or Stubby or Flint. Let's, uh, let's go back up to you, Ryan. How has your role-playing distinguished your Warren from anybody else's Warlock? Well, so if you take the actual like uh, character data out of it and you just look at Warren as Warren presents himself, Warren actually comes across as some... Warren actually, like my whole mental picture of him and you'll actually see from the, the art um, as my background, is comes across much more as like um, a wizard or he comes across as like a nobleman who likes to dabble. Um, and so that's one of the ways that I've tried to portray him a bit is he's uh, a little bit more refined than the rest of these plebs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and just, you know, he, he likes to be um, knowledgeable, but he, he is also aware that um, not accepting the fact that you uh, don't know everything is definitely a way to have your hubris kick you in the ass. So, um, you know, he, it, it, it's role-playing him. I'm just trying to lean more on the knowledge that he does have and uh trying to make sure that he's able to use that to the the benefit of the rest of the party is is i guess the simplest way i can put that um and then you know of course he's got a little more refined tastes and you know he just tries to well it's gonna be interesting when all of you level up to the next level because you're all just gonna get that much more beef here chris mm -hmm. what about you how how's role playing lent itself to uh overcoming the consistent bad aspects or the consistent good aspects you know how how they manage to mesh together because he's done a lot of role playing getting in people's faces and shit even that ghost back in the uh the collapsed tower making him you come out here now remember you wanted to make him come out of the jail cell <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> threatening him. It didn't work out so well yeah I, I think um you know playing that that character kind of a more in your face a little more forceful um you know he expects that people do what he says and that's not quite you know how it works so um i think um you know 
continuing to play that character that he's in your face, trying to get people to do things just because he says to do them, um, sets him apart a little bit, um, you know, from, from other characters that, that may play that class. What about you, Junior? How's Flint's role playing? I mean, I, I gotta be honest as, as Flint being the, the healer, he's done completely selfless acts that, I mean, a lot of people don't like doing as far as playing clerics because you're just a, the shop band-aid at that point. Like, yeah. I mean, you've managed to like keep yourself vertical as well as healing people while you're doing stuff and go standing in front of a circuit when he's down with your shield up and shit, you know, and, you know, okay, we're, you know, pull back into the hallway. Let me heal this individual and bring them back up, you know, or stabilize <laughs> this individual. That's been really awesome. I mean, well, it's been kind of nice. I know, uh, Stabby has given me multiple opportunities to either <laughs> save his life or give him some healing, but, uh, Sirkin as well, even in the, the last, uh, I, th I think it's second to the last episode. He doesn't want you to feel left out. He wants you to know that you have a usefulness. I have a meaning, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I got a meaning as be. a party member. I gotta, I gotta keep, keep practicing. He's back there but cutting himself. You know? <laughs> I think, uh, Flint actually came more alive and, and, getting more comfortable in his in his role when uh Sirkin did go down in kind of like our ambushed area I mean there was no real way to get him out and retreat so when he fell he kind of took the position of all right well let's I got to stabilize and screw these arrows that are you know darting at me and taking two in the back you know my job is you know I need to take care of my friends and you know that act alone like that showed great role playing because you, you didn't just heal him and move 20 feet or, you know, move five squares or, you know, you kept it all like in the narrative, you know, I, now I, I go over and heal him. Like I, and I drop to a knee and I give him partial cover that right there. That's a gold doubloon <laughs> done. Handled that. Yeah. Um, I love the, I, I think, you know, what you said that he's playing selfless as a cleric. That's, that is a, a, an interesting way to play a cleric in that selfless manner, putting himself in harm's way constantly to keep us all vertical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, it is something you would almost expect to see more of like a paladin. Yeah. Like yeah. stereotypically speaking. Yeah, it is very stereotypical of a, of a paladin if we're... Like staying there. on the front line and, yeah. and still doing combat while you're healing, but, but providing that kind of protection and stuff it's funny like in fact when you were doing the the sun citadel campaign and i created that rogue who was walking around in, in paladin armor acting like he was all regal but he wasn't he was just a rogue you know but i wanted it to come across like he had this aura this air about him that he was somebody special and he's just a straight up thief <laughs> just a piece of garbage <laughs> he just ripped the, the uniform off the armor yeah. off a of paladin <laughs> probably one he killed yeah probably when <laughs> he when he shanked in the back at some point you know as i was looking through some of my old um characters and whatnot one of the ones that i i remember putting together when we used to play in front of the comic shop was this sorcerer a human sorcerer called Fallant, and he was like an older man he's like 60 years old and decrepit and shit but i'd never played a sorcerer before and i, I chose it because uh, all of his savings, saving throws were based off of charisma, which a lot of people don't don't really look at that. They look at dex or strength or, you know, constitution and stuff. 
so when I put them together, it was always kind of, you know, this, this mischievous old man who would, Oh, you got something on your face. And he had a wand of magic missiles taped to his wrist and he would like let them all off at the same time, right there point blank. <laughs> and, uh, he ended up making a comeback as an NPC on the, uh, on the Isle of the Dead in the Riders on the Storm campaign. But I always thought it was kind of, you know, I played to his not having any strength or decks because he was so, so old, you mm -hmm. know, that was, that was how I, I played him to do the things that he had done, but he was always about the, you know, the chromatic orbs and stuff and just trying to get that stuff, but mostly from a distance, he wasn't really ever a frontline fighter or anything like that. So. But, That's like kind of a cool handicap in a way, like how it naturally paid, played off where you were dumping all your stuff into charisma instead of strength. You know, it kind of plays into the yeah. the 90 year old man with no business out there in his walker, you know, with his golf balls. And he's all like, oh, hold on. And well, just blast you with You missiles. guys found him on the island. You and Eric and uh, I forget who else. They kicked in his front door because they wouldn't he wouldn't let him in. He had a shack. And so when they kicked open the door he fireballed him at like point blank range <laughs> it was awesome and then he ran out the back and eventually they caught him and, and did some other stuff but it was really funny just to see you guys chasing this this old hobbling man and i think he had like a couple scarecrows that that like came to life in his field and and did all that shit but good times man good times well, if anybody has anything else they would like to add about their character, now would be the time to do so. Yeah, I I've really enjoyed this campaign and the um, the the interactions with Warren, the interactions with Flint, um, with Stabby. Um, I think that Warren and Stabby have this kind of back and forth, you know, throughout the campaign that that at times. Uh, can seem a little um, strained, but I, I think uh, Stebby has has a even though he really only cares about himself primarily, he still wants to see that Warren makes it through, that that Flint makes it through, and Sirkin makes it through. And I think that'd be like a great role playing opportunity. You know, like when you guys are finally taking five, settle down, maybe take a long rest or something, and you you guys just have your your one-on-one -on -one, you know kind of get that because i don't think any of you guys really know what warren's history really is you know he was in the ring you know he's in the ring for some time but you really don't know anything about him just like he doesn't know much about you in fact even as the dm i, I know a little bit about stabby i don't know hardly anything about flint or circuit you know i I'm hoping at some point you guys will drop that flavor to me so I could intermingle it and yeah, sprinkle to, it throughout the AP. Surprisingly, Versus, I honestly didn't think uh, Flint would have made it too far. I well, thought he would have probably gone down uh, within like the first major, major combat. And I was surprised that he did so well. And I mean, I think it's because I've been trying to keep him away from the front line, more or well, less. He did really well in... Uh, I know like when you guys first went into the uh the collapsed witch tower and you were fighting like the large worms and then you were fighting a few other things in there i was like i saw stabby go down more than anybody else and, <laughs> yeah. and i don't know if it was because he was blind in the dark because i think at one point he was riding on somebody's shoulders and he had a candle in his hand 
his flag yeah, he was that, right on, yeah he was right yeah, on my back it's like they they couldn't help but say okay well let's go for this guy because he's yeah. he's the beacon you know he's the yeah. dinner at this point he's got and, a target on him <laughs> yeah you know you just lit up the room and boom, we're going for that guy right there but uh yeah i i like seeing how the characters have developed even over 21 episodes you know and that's that's been really cool because you guys are are the homeboys you guys are are in this thing and we're just we keep on going through it i know we keep talking about having like other venues and maybe doing um shorties and stuff for if somebody can't make it you know we have something in reserve that we could start running something and i think that's great too you know it'll see how everybody interacts is in a in a different format like a different game or a different set of mechanics or even with a different gm you know if somebody Mm -hmm. else like i know ryan you do starfinder and stuff you're probably the most capable of us to gm a a one-off starfinder or something you know Uh... (laughs) either way i'm still studying it up anyways but i mean just just to do stuff like that or even do like Mm -hmm. a a short delta green i know i keep pushing that because i think that game is so fucking bitching that game is just fun (laughs) junior could attest it he had a blast doing it too and it's you know i think this this venue in at the uh digital rage room behind the virtual eye of destiny is is probably the easiest way for us all to get together without worrying about driving somewhere or I can't stay over late, or I can't make the distance or whatever. This is, mm-hmm. this is so much easier. Okay. I got an hour. I got an hour and a half. I could sit behind the computer, bip in everybody boot does their thing in the, in the zoom call. And it's in the can at that point. Mm-hmm. And so it, it lends itself well for us to put something more things out there. I should say, especially on the times when we can't get everybody together, like it would have been great to have done it last week uh when when nick couldn't make it i think Mm. that would have been perfect so for all you fellow slingers out there listening we will have something eventually ready for you in whatever venue we settle down on so i like the mix i like yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i think we should i think we should always add something because we want to keep it fresh to some degree i mean even like vampire the masquerade which i've never played and i don't own one single piece of literature of that game but i'm just saying anything that that somebody wants to play that mm-hmm. that we think that would be good listening you know that people would like to hear us play because we have that much fun so i'm intrigued Absolutely. by the delta green <clears throat> the delta green i think would be a blast to play it is it really uh, is i'm actually that is one system i'm completely unfamiliar with so that would be that would be interesting to learn about it it's not difficult to learn it mostly incorporates uh well it's got the same dice but it's always about rolling 2d10 <laughs> and you want to get under a specific number that's on your character sheet and it's mostly about the investigative nature of stuff and and finding out clues and and talking to people and and then maybe you come across something that's unnatural something that shouldn't be and how it affects you psychologically and if it affects your uh, sanity and that carries over and all that other stuff but yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot of uh role playing and uh investigation yeah it's very that plays out pretty pretty fun yeah that so. sounds actually like uh and which is another system i haven't played but call of cthulhu it is a space off call of cthulhu that's ah, in fact that's okay. where it came from was i guess there was a uh 
a subsidiary of Call of Cthulhu that was known as Delta Green, which mm -hmm. was a like a unsanctioned. I'm probably totally wrong about this. Sorry about this, listeners. An unsanctioned portion of the government that went out and did these things, and it was in the mm -hmm. Call of Cthulhu mythos. And then eventually, I guess it did so well that Archery Publishing uh, pulled it out of there and actually started putting together material for it. So, nice. Yeah. Very cool. That's really nice. And then I think they did an update of the Call of Cthulhu where they brought it up to modern standards. Because I think before it's all in the noir era, like the, the 30, 20s and 30s stuff. So Cool. Good that's time. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Be interested to see how that plays out. Well, we'll definitely put something together and we'll we'll run with it then. Absolutely. Oh, oh is that our goodbye music? Move. I guess so. <laughs> I guess Hold we on, run outside. Walk us out with a little jazz here. <laughs> a little jazz hands. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, all um, right. Oh, what do you got to say for me? Oh, nothing. So just like, you know, taking this, you know, another few minutes, an interesting question that I have um for each of you including our illustrious dm would be uh going into whatever game and it doesn't necessarily need to be a, a class but what is the archetype and it could could be class that you would like to play if we do a one shot or we go to the next campaign or whatever i'm just curious well it depends on what oh. what system we play though too because mm -hmm. if you play like delta green everybody's human right so are you talking about Starfinder? Um, yeah, about I mean, fantasy? For, for, for the sake, since we are currently in the world of D&D, um, uh, let's go with that. So, yeah, Brian, what would what would you play if we do like a one shot? I would shot play like a, a tiefling, um, maybe a tiefling rogue. Mm -hmm. I think that okay. sounds really intriguing because they, mm -hmm. they, they're already getting a bad rap anyways they're already <laughs> on everybody's shit list to begin with a bunch of fucking racists out there but uh <laughs> but yeah i think i'd like to do a, a tiefling rogue but but, cool. but bear in mind though that once you guys uh roll into third level mm -hmm. uh and i don't know if we said this when we were still recording but we will be phasing out the 5e mechanics in favor of the pathfinder 1e mechanics so you'd have to keep that in mind as well yep um chris um I would... you gonna go are you gonna go back to your safe haven of the paladin no i'm not yeah <laughs> um I, it's very intriguing i really really like playing a paladin mm -hmm. but i i think for a one shot um i'd probably play like a wood elf rogue or a mm -hmm. wood elf ranger sorry hmm. okay cool uh junior see You've had me interested on Paladin. I think I played a Dragonborn Paladin, and I was mm -hmm. starting to get the bearings of it, but it was uh, a short series we did. Mm. And that would be fun, or even a Bard. Uh, maybe something small like Teethling Bard would be interesting because it would be a devilish-looking you know, creature, but at the same time singing along. Maybe we can make him do like <laughs> metal songs or something. <laughs> You know, like as inspiration, like have him have him like have all these piercings and yeah, like, and just be like pain. death before dishonor, and like everyone gets you know plus two oh, or God. whatever. Like have, you can have, paint half of yourself blue, so like, like red and blue. Yeah. 
ha- have him be like a uh, half, like a, I'm sorry, a, a tiefling uh, bard, like heavy metal, like scald. Yeah. Oh wow. Just be, be that would be intense. Let's that would be interesting. Let's play two bards and do like dueling banjos. That Ryan, would be what, awesome. Ryan, what now, about you? What would you have played? <laughs> or will you? Oh, uh, I have a couple of interesting concepts. Um, so one, uh, I actually have a concept of like a bard in like, um, which is very unusual for me. I actually like, I don't identify with bards, but I've had this concept in the back of my head that I really like is like um, a, a, a what I have is mostly fleshed out for like 5e mechanic, but basically he would be a uh, like middle age, certain degree, um, a college of lore bard. And so he wouldn't be about singing, he would be about storytelling and he would, his spells would largely be summoning and he would summon storybook characters. Hmm. Well, that's cool. You know, it so, doesn't so always I... have to be about the singing. <laughs> it could be about, yeah. you know, just conveying some kind of a you know the past like that's that's mm-hmm. what the, all the songs were about and the storytellings were about is the bard would tell the village or whatever about these deeds done by heroes and demons and stuff and that's how it was passed along and passed down and misconveyed and all that other stuff but mm-hmm. it doesn't always have to be about the the six string electric guitar <laughs> you know anything like that it could be any other way hey, devil dude devil dude <laughs> right so. totally but um but, go ahead please no i'm i'm no i'm, I'm cut you I off mean, <laughs> i didn't mean to hurt your feelings oh hardly. <laughs> uh, i've got i've got thicker skin than that well does anybody have anything else to say what about you used to be no i just uh i'm i'm looking forward to uh i can tell Get forward to it. Looking forward to the next time he falls over. Jesus. Yeah, pincushion for sure. No, it's Junior's line. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I, I'm really um for me, I, I like the mix up of the shows doing you know this, doing the show, you know, looking at other systems as well. I I think that's a a good direction to take us as well. Um, and I think I've mentioned this before. I, I think I mentioned it on one of the old ass rolling for twenties was that I had a, originally envisioned that when the show took off that to do a homebrew campaign would be better than doing covers. And I don't think it was because I think we discussed it last time that people like to, they want to follow along if they have the ability to do so, if they could buy the PDF or they have the book, they want to see how other shows or other groups run this this adventure path compared to how they have run it or or how they would run it or get inspiration. I know that I listen to other podcasts on when they do like a Delta Green or they do the Carrying Crown or something like that. In fact, there was a there was this one individual from Florida here, uh, David Ratke. Shout out to you. He messaged me and asked me some questions about running the first book of Carrying Crown, the Harrowstone, Haunting of Harrowstone. And so I told him how I did some of this stuff. And I think I sent him some of my notes because they were running it. And it's just kind of cool that that other people are listening to this show also to get ideas on how to do their stuff. So mm-hmm. to have done the homebrew probably did us more of a disservice than, than to help us out. And then once we started doing publications and stuff, I think people find us more available to them 
And if I you do, like, go ahead. I like that you saying that people listen to us to to pull in um, pieces of what we do into their campaigns and how they run their sessions. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I think even before I left California, I was telling Junior that I had like two or three people ask me about how I ran a victim of the art, which was that Delta Green campaign. I sent them all my notes in like a in a folder as well so that they could run it too. It's and that's really cool. You know, the people listen to the show and you know, I think I don't know what it was, but we got a few new subscribers on on YouTube this past month. I was going to sh- send that over to you guys too that that screenshot, but that's just cool. I mean, we're not we're not hitting it out of the park, but we've got a steady progressive following of people and it just, you know, it honestly it would take one or two people that were that had what they wanted to to hear pass it on and it would just blow up like wildfire. Mm-hmm. And you know Real who quick, I'm thinking about? To, you know who I'm thinking about, right, Junior? That one uh, podcast we used to listen to. Yeah, they had one guy listen to it, and it went through the roof. Yeah, just so. getting into proper channels. But real quick on that Delta Green, was that the one that uh, we did the research about nuclear power plants and stuff like that, or is that a different one? No, that was a different one. That was a homebrew one I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I was I was researching something for the San Onofre power plant because it was this one took place right across the street from it. So I was pulling up all these satellite photos of, of the power <laughs> <We> plant. Had, <laughs> keep in mind, we're, we're doing this on like working operated hours. So we're laughing because we're looking it up and our whole screen, we had windows and tabs open and it looked like we were planning an attack or something. I was like, <laughs> I hope this doesn't get flagged because we're looking at like access roads and back roads and just distance to the, to the, you know, power plant and, you know, what's, what's this building over here? What can possibly go wrong with this? Right. (laughs) I'm sure we lit up every spy satellite in the Western (laughs) hemisphere, but I had a great time doing it, but yeah, you're all on a watch list now. Yeah. Yeah, That's fine. Well, I hope they pass it on to somebody then if we are. (laughs) Right. You bet. (laughs) Anyways, guys, um, anybody have anything else to say or add? Nope. I think this has been an awesome, like, just chill conversation. And I like that. Really this, this is really uh, about what I wanted to see. And I know it kind of started off kind of stiff because I wanted to get some of these questions out and I wanted it to be more, but I wanted it to be more visceral. You know, everybody is kind of going through and, and everything's, you know, fluidly moving through the, the conversation. And this has been perfect. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I guess uh, without any further delay, I will say good night and uh, talk to you guys in a minute.